Welcome to the Team FNC podcast, where we aim to improve your knowledge and understanding of nutrition. Alrighty, welcome to the FNC roundtable today, and we're going to be talking about social meals. Now, the reason I really want to talk about this is because at FNC, we, we focus on far more than just the physical health side of things. We look at a, a very much a deep health perspective, and deep health does include physical health, but it also includes things like your social, your emotional, your mental, your existential, your economic, your environmental health. So we try and work with our clients on ways to improve all of those areas of their life. And I believe, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys think on this, that if you are neglecting one area of your life significantly, and that is a, a, a sorry, and that is a value of yours, then you aren't really a healthy person or as healthy as you could be. So if you are prioritizing too much of the physical health side of things at the detriment of your physical health and even emotional health, um, and those two could kind of be be linked together as well, then you aren't as healthy as you could be. Yeah, definitely, Josh. I think we... We like to pick on physical health because it's numeric. It's very, very easy to, to say the way people get obsessed about body weight, to pick an arbitrary number and go, this is health, this is not health. Um, but it's a much harder discussion. And it's also one which you need a little bit more nuance and tolerance for uncertainty for to decide, hey, what does my personal understanding and concept of health look like? Um, across all of those domains. I second that. And I feel like if we go back in time, I don't know how many set years exactly, but I feel like in the in the fitness and diet culture landscape, health is health is tied with discipline and health is tied with how hard you can push yourself and how hard you can try and how many things you can sacrifice. And even though discipline is important in areas, I'm not denying that, I feel like social health or social eating in this context really gets sacrificed for, let's say, over-discipline in other areas to the point where, like Josh was saying at the start, we may end up not actually being as healthy as we think because we're neglecting a really key aspect of health, which is socialising and connection with others. Yeah, and on that too, I think we... As an industry, really, we struggle with understanding that health and sort of performance or like being good, they sit on the same path, but only to a point. And the kind of behaviors which take you 75, 80% along that path towards performance in your chosen pursuit are likely going to make you more healthy. But there's also a point at which where we potentially need to sacrifice some kind of at least short-term health for the pursuit of an an extreme goal, which I think is what you were talking about there, Alex, right? Like if discipline becomes the good and if you're going, hey, the secret to me being healthy is going to be acting and dieting like a bodybuilder prepping, it's probably worth challenging and like really examining that assumption um, and at least trying to understand what parts of it are congruent with the picture of health and which parts are not. Yeah, and I think what you just mentioned there about the, the bodybuilder um, comparison is that I think a lot of the time we get, or, or people who are dieting get so caught up in the way that bodybuilders do things, they are so, so extreme. And yeah, sure thing, for them, sacrificing their social life 
that that's probably part of their goal because they they're like they're essentially an athlete um but for the general population i just don't think it's it's a worthwhile comparison or someone to model your behaviors off absolutely we're going to think again with that general population example we've got to think what are we doing this for we come back to let's say improving nutrition improving healthy forms of movement making lifestyle changes ask the question what are we doing this for are we stepping on stage to be a bodybuilder physique athlete are we playing some form of pro competition sport if we are, then okay, like, like Tommy was saying before, maybe there does need to be some element of sacrifice in the short term. Maybe there does need to be some prioritization for performance. But if, if we're not competing in these, in these pro competitions, right, that we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing this for? And if we're trying to, if it comes back to, I'm trying to improve my health, then I feel like there's extremes on that spectrum which involve um, hindering our social life are they actually worth it and like what pros are they bringing us versus what costs are they yeah. having on our life yeah i love that that trade-off like is it really worth it i think like tom mentioned before the 75 80 percent you know like sure like go for that but does going for 90 percent focus on your physical health is that worth the trade-off of sacrificing your social meals and the indulgences and time with people that you really love and care about and i i don't think it is I think it's obviously it's worth asking the client what 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 do you think but also as coaches this is why we really want to dive into what does your client value and what are their priorities in life and again like you said why are you doing this if your client really values social health all right and if you look at their schedule and they are going out for lots of meals and they really enjoy going out to restaurants then them not having social meals again that's not aligned with their values and it's not healthy and I don't really see the point in, uh, all right, for the next three months, I'm not going to go out. That's not going to really help you. If you get results, you won't be able to maintain them. So why not actually spend the time to build a way of eating and build these behaviors and habits that are going to help you, I guess, yeah, make progress towards whatever physical goals you have, but whilst also learning how to manage and enjoy these social meals. Yeah, and I, I think the the undercurrent of what you've said there, right, Josh, is the timing matters and sort of the way we think about that change as a factor of time also matters. So, like, if you're someone who's actually chasing sustainable long-term change, we almost want to operate from this position of let's change as little as possible and let's do that. Whereas I think if we harp back on, like, the extreme example, I think there's nothing wrong with being extreme for a period of time if that's like well thought out and it's well considered and there's a well contemplated reason for it. But I think that the thing there is you acknowledge that this is only for a period of time before reverting to a previously developed set of behaviors. Um, so yeah, I would I'd argue on the to come back to social meals then, it is probably integral if you're chasing a thing which is going to take you more than a month or two to find a way to fit that into your paradigm so you can achieve what you want to achieve with the minimum of the cost for yourself. Yeah. And like, unless we are working with someone who is like a weight class athlete, right. I think there is merit to, towards them probably sacrificing some social meals um, in the lead up to, to try to make weight. But our clients who just want to be, you know, physically and physically healthy, but also factoring their things like their social and emotional health, 
I don't think that one month of cutting out social meals is, is really worth it for them. I'd agree. I thought the cost would outweigh the pros. And we can, if we take it, if we zoom in a little bit more here and we're looking at the, let's say the effects of social meals on, um, on our overall health and we pay attention to what's actually being consumed when they're out socially, then often goes hand in hand with social indulgent meals and alcohol consumption. Not for everyone. I'm not saying that's the, the general rule for everyone, but if this is happen, happening fairly commonly, then if someone who does want to improve their health does want to or is interested in challenging themselves and making some form of sacrifices, we can put that again on a spectrum. All right, are you going to completely ban yourself from going out for X period of time? How realistic and sustainable is that? Versus, all right, let's have a look at what we're actually having when we're out and about. <clears throat> are you binge drinking every single time you're going out or not even binge drinking, just having lots of alcohol, which is uh, obviously adding to, to uh, total calorie intake, but potentially having other negative effects on, 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 say, mental health or emotional health in the days afterwards when they're recovering from that amount of alcohol. Can we make sacrifices there? Can we take some of that social experience and pull it back a little bit to improve your health, but not take the entire social experience away from you or certain social eating experiences away from you there? It's about compromise and, and looking at the, the days after as well, rather than being black and white about it and completely taking away a social experience. Yeah, and I think this is where we find the, the effing sweet spot that I like to call it is like the, the, the effing sweet spot between your physical health and your social health. And I think this is what Monica, she, she kind of put uh, sent some notes through, is that, that finding the best of both worlds so you can enjoy yourself without going overboard and then feeling like the next day you've overdone it, you feel really guilty about it. And then it almost like reinforces this mindset of like, oh, I just can't enjoy social meals. Where if you take the time to think about, okay, how many drinks, you know, it, can, I, can I have over, like, over the weekend or in one sitting where I will feel like I've satisfied social health, I've enjoyed myself, but I haven't gone overboard. Yeah, and I think it's funny because for a lot of people, like actually, to be honest, even us today, we've been guilty of sort of talking about social meals like this entity instead of instead talking about them as like a range we can walk, sort of work through. And I think the alcohol addition is a really nice way to sort of pull out that continuum because for a lot of people, like I talk to a lot of clients who would say, hey, like, they would view having a burger or going to the pub and getting a schnitzel as bad by default um, as something which is like automatically off plan. And I, I strongly disagree with that on a few levels. But I think the problem becomes when we view any social meal as a failure, it means we're mm. more likely to have like the what the hell effect. Mm. And particularly like when you're involving alcohol, there is an enormous difference between I'm going to go to the pub, I'm going to have like a 200, 250 gram rump steak, double my veggie serve and like a small side of chips and then one or two beers between I'm going to the pub, I'm getting the garlic bread, the chicken parmy, and then I'm going to have 17, 18 beers and end up having a kebab at 3 a.m. Mm. Um, so I think for a lot of people, and I guess this could probably be a good thing to talk through, a lot of people struggle to understand like what is the what's the level of engagement socially, which is sort of least likely to negatively impact the pursuit towards their goals. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think even, even going a little bit further with your examples there, Tom, is like your, your example, the first one 
was like a steak, veggies, chips, and two beers, right? A lot of people would view that as off track. Um, and I don't think that that's the case at all. Mm. I feel like people think that if they go to a pub, they've got to get steak and veggies and that's it. No chips, no beers at all. And that's why the chips and the beers goes off track. I think a really big thing that I've seen with my clients that have improved their relationship with social meals and their food in general is that they now don't view those meals as off track, all right? And I think as soon as you say off track, it means you have to get back on track. Whereas one thing I try and teach my clients is to have this zoomed out perspective mm. rather than judging every meal. So rather than judging like individual meals, zoom out and look at what the course of the week looks like. Yeah. I think this is where I, I feel like these are such important and valuable points and where the discussion around cheat meals should come in, the whole cheat meal culture mm. and I'm going to be quote unquote good and quote unquote well behaved and quote unquote on track all week. And I'm going to be strict and plan out my meal prep and track calories and all these strict food behaviors. <clears throat> and then we allow ourselves to have a cheat meal on Saturday night or on Sunday during the day or whatever it is. And that's, I, I feel like that cheat meal really invites the what the hell effect and can turn into a full cheat day or a full binge eating episode over across the day. And I feel like it's dangerous. And a lot of social media and online culture has really invited that. And again, if we bring it back to bodybuilding culture, the cheat meal that we fit in once a week. Um, I feel like what we were talking about before and with the pub example, it has to be steak and veggies. That's almost, that's almost inviting that strict mindset or that restricted mindset where I'm only allowed to have this. And we sort of feel constrained and then again, we invite the what the hell effect. Your mates are having this or um, you see someone else ordering something that you really want and that, that'll invite the door to open up and then cheat meal or binge eating episode. Whereas if we, like you were saying, Josh, we zoom out and have a, a total week perspective and we approach social meals with an effing sweet spot example where we do open the door a little bit and allow ourselves to have something which we may not automatically deem as good or strict or on track it, it allows for more flexibility we automatically have weight off our shoulders and we don't feel constrained in our decisions that can actually enjoy what we're doing hmm. so i love that alex but i also think for a lot of people that's a bit of a hard sell sometimes hmm. like i think sometimes when you tell a client hey like just like mindfully indulge, like think about the experience, enjoy it, give yourself permission to it. A lot of the time people are a bit resistant to that because it, you don't have those rigid rules. You don't have that strictness. Mm -hmm. It's much more anxiety provoking. You handle a lot more uncertainty. Uh, so often I'll, to try and like drive it home, I'll talk to people about the calories we consume as like a every calorie we do. It, sometimes it's about not consuming the calories as opposed to the amount you do consume. So like if you're someone who's prone to the what the hell effect, you could pretty easily eat two and a half, three thousand calories on a night out. So if that's your default set of behaviors, if you're the cheat meal king, if you're doing all those things, I'll often say, hey, this time you had the steak, the chips and the beer and two beers. Sure, it's more calories than you probably would have liked to consume. And you might feel some level of guilt with that, at least initially. But 
look at the magnitude of the difference between that mm. set of behaviors and where you ordinarily would be. Yeah. Um, especially if like weight loss is your desired outcome, you're probably accruing a pretty decent deficit during the week. A single incidence where you're not restricting yourself isn't going to blow out the size of your deficit unless you let it become a big thing, uh, which is where that acceptance and that sort of ability to give yourself permission to go over a little bit um, and just be at peace with that is so useful. Yeah. And even like if we if we throw numbers around, so if someone's on, let's just say, a, a random number of 2,000 calories per day, that's 14,000 calories over the course of the week, right? If someone has one meal, like a, let's go, there's steak, chips, and two beers, let's say like for it's it's a thousand calories. That's only seven percent of their week. Mm-hmm. That means like ninety-three percent of their week was still like absolutely like nailed protein and plants. And then and that's it's like saying one meal. Two meals out, it's only fourteen percent. That's still eighty-six percent, like mm. yeah. And I think especially people like if if someone's achieving a 500 calorie deficit a day to continue that example and you have the thousand calorie dinner but you keep breakfast and lunch the same because you want to prioritize consistent food behavior you might overshoot your target by four five hundred but you're still in a slight deficit or a maintenance yeah so really like you haven't gone backwards at all and something i've used a little bit recently for some of my clients who track is by setting them like a min uh a maximum deficit size and then giving them scope to sit anywhere between that maintenance and then trying to encourage people to pay attention to how they feel and whether they want more. And I think tricks like that can really give people permission when they eat out to help them realize, hang on, I can actually do this and it's not the end of the day. It's not going to sabotage everything. It's like totally a part of a health pursuing lifestyle improving plan. And this is what this is what comes to comes back to what I mentioned before about like being able to make progress and enjoy social meals at the same time is a far better option than renouncing social meals and going, okay, guys, like big announcement. I'm not gonna go out for the next 12 weeks. All right. And then you like, you know what, you you make progress, you, you get to your goals, and you're like, fuck. Now I've got to learn how to add social meals back in. Mm. Damn mm. it. Like you've just made, I think, I think you've just made life a lot harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And the impact that's going to have on, on your friendships as well. We need mm. to consider what can I yeah. say your friends can drop you after those 12 weeks, but it's trying to imagine trying to withdraw socially. If again, like we're saying at the start, if you value socialization in connection with other people, then number one, how are you going to feel in those 12 weeks? cutting off some of your core values and friendships that you really rely on to feel happy in life and feel fulfilled in life. But how are you going to explain that to these people in your life that you're cutting these things off for 12 weeks as well? Again, if we bring it back to pros and cons or um, costs and benefits, are those costs worth it in in potentially hindering your friendships Mm -hmm. to cut these things off for 12 weeks? I don't, I don't really feel like it's, it's worth it compared to the, 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 what we're saying previously, <clears throat> learning how to learning how to do these things over the 12 weeks, let's say, learning how to incorporate social meals whilst at the same time wanting to progress, even though it may be challenging initially for the client to, to grapple, how can I have both? When in the past, it's probably just been black and white. It's either I'm going to be 
going full swing, diving into the deep end, or I'm going to be not, not even trying at all. It's probably really hard to grapple with. So that's where I feel like one of my biases can really be challenged. And for some people, it may actually be helpful to, to speak about things numerically and to demonstrate like percentages across the week or potentially explain some form of calorie range where it can actually put things into perspective for people about, okay, maybe it's not actually going to ruin my progress if I do incorporate social meals here and there. Um, because, yeah, even though it makes sense in our minds, without looking at things numerically, like Tommy was saying before, it can be really, really anxiety provoking for people who, who are used to the black and the white. Mm. I think this is where I really like um, to challenge the client's thoughts. If they are maybe catastrophizing or they're quite anxious about what's going to happen, like, like, okay, what, what's the, what's the worst possible outcome? Oh, like I'm going to like, you know, have a 3000 calories. Okay. How realistic is that? Oh, well, I don't know. It might be like a seven out of 10. Okay. Well, what's the best possible outcome? Well, the best possible outcome is I enjoy myself. I have the steak and I have the chips and I stop with the two beers. Oh, great. Cool. How will you feel if you do that? Oh, I feel great. I feel so happy with myself. Okay. And how will you feel if you don't go? Oh, I'll feel terrible. I feel like I missed out. Okay. What, what, like, what would you tell a friend in a similar situation? I tell them to go out and have the social meal and just have what you ordered, like have what you planned. Okay. What do you think you should do? I, I think I should do that. Like, it's about going through these things with our clients, but also if you're if you don't have a coach and you're just listening to this or watching this, challenge those automatic thoughts that are popping mm. up. And just again, like we keep saying, is is the trade off of sitting at home on your own worth it? Um, and I think an, another point that Monica has mentioned here is that social meals are inevitable. Like you can't run away from them forever. Mm. Like so, it, it's it's a worthwhile like time, like return on investment for your time and effort and energy to actually learn how to find a way to fit these into your life. Mm. Yeah. And I think the, the the thing there, I guess, is it's more about the social, less about the meal. Really? Like I, I think the example of, hey, I'm not going to go out for the next 12 weeks is a funny one because especially if I use the pub example, I could not tell you the last time I went to the pub because that pub was like a critically acclaimed Michelin star <laughs> fancy restaurant setup. No, but like, like you go to the pub because your mates are there. Mm. So even though I think we enjoy that kind of food, the food's also very much not the point. So yeah. the complete omission of the pub setting makes makes the least possible amount of sense as a response behavioral response mm-hmm. um yeah which i which i think is like i i ha, i i didn't drink much at all as like an 18 19 20 year old and something i found really strange was people who when they didn't drink they just wouldn't come out mm. it's in behaving that way you've made the alcohol or the food the centerpiece yeah. Instead of allowing the centerpiece to be the connection and the engagement with the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only are you sort of removing the opportunity to flex your like eating skills, you're also missing out on all these things which make your life better in a bunch of other domains too. Yeah. Yeah. And then also what does it say about your friendships if alcohol is the only common denominator? <laughs> yeah. And, and if we, if I'm, I'm bridge cheap meals back into this, if you are, 
black and white during the week and quote unquote good, quote unquote street, quote unquote on track all week long. And then you allow yourself a window on the weekends to have a say social meal. Then I feel like it, it's a danger period for it to be about the food rather than about your mates or connecting with family or whatever mm. it is. Like, because you are so food focused and anticipating this quote unquote cheat meal all week long and planning what it's going to be and literally anticipating it like a kid at Christmas, right? This cheat meal. So when you do go out, let's say you do have it with a partner, with friends or family, then you're going to miss out on connection because the entire experience is going to be around the specific food in front of you. Whereas if you eat socially more often, then it becomes less about the food. And like when you were saying more about the connection with the people around you, which is a whole one whole purpose of food, right? Actually offering sociocultural connection rather yeah. than specifically food in front of you. So that's another benefit of doing these things in more of a gray manner on a more frequent basis because it becomes less about the food and more about the connection with other people. Yeah. And if you like to keep going with the cheat meal example is that if someone overdoes it, they're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go mental like with the garlic bread and the parmi and all the beers and the kebabs. When they feel like shit the next day, they probably don't blame the food. They blame the experience. So they've lost all mm. that. Like they now go, oh, I just don't want to go to another social meal. Like, whereas if we, like, I, one of my favorite things to do is to think about the purpose, right? Think about your purpose for these meals and all these, these occasions. The occasion is to spend time with friends and family and the people that you care about, right? The meal goes along for the ride. Yeah, you can make a choice that aligns with your physical and your social health. But think about what the purpose is, first and foremost, and try and make a decision that aligns with both of those. And like Tom said, it's, it's about the social part. Like I, I had a client I spoke to the other day and her and a friend, they, they went out and they, they had a salad at the pub and they both really enjoyed it. And I said, that's because it wasn't about the meals, but it's about the social. So if you do want the steak and veggies, if you do want the chicken salad, like go for it. Like you don't have to have the in, more indulgent option, but also think about what you actually feel like. Mm-hmm. And it's, all, it's remember, it's the dose that makes the poison. You can still yeah, and- enjoy some chips. Maybe you just don't have like a bowl, a whole bowl of chips, for example, you know? Yeah. On that too, I think if we can s- step away from the pub analogy and talk about like a brunch instead, I think it's a much easier way to appreciate like the layers to that and encourage people to reflect on how much do you really need to engage with this? Like, you could go to that kind of context and genuinely just have a coffee with a friend. Um, and if mm. like you have a short black or a long black or whatever, there's like effectively no calories in that. You can add a level to that. You can go, okay, it's okay to go and meet a friend for coffee. Now I have two eggs on a bit of sourdough. Not a lot of calories going on. Like it's hard to look at that and say, yeah, that would take me off target. And then you sort of got this, ever increasing amount of food you could potentially eat in that context but it lets you sort of reflect on hey like the point is really the person and i can i don't want to say titrate and be a nerd but like i can turn that dial to whatever level of indulgence is both situationally appropriate what you feel like and where you sort of sit time-wise in the context of your goals yeah, and I think also if like just to, I think that's a really great introduction of using the brunch. 
if you're someone who really fears social meals, then start with a social setting that you are more confident with. Um, I use I use this example when it comes to introducing indulgences, like listing five indulgences that you want to add back into your life, uh, ranking them from most confident to least confident or most feared to least feared and start to introduce the one that you fear the least or you're most confident with. And you can do the same thing with social settings. So are you, are you most scared of going to an Italian restaurant, but you're really confident with going to a cafe? Okay, let's start with the cafe, build your confidence with, confidence with those social meals and then go to the pub and then work up to the Italian restaurant. Yeah, and I guess like the meta around that is your nutrition and training interventions, like without being too wanky, should like be a a means of self-discovery and learning. But the bottom line is they should also taper up in difficulty in a way which improves the stories you tell yourself about yourself and improve your self-efficacy. So like I really like that in that, hey, you sort of pick the environment you're comfortable in and then you push that circle over time. But I think the second level to that is being aware of what kind of language are you using to describe yourself in that situation. Often, like I talk to so many people who say, yeah, I can't do this. Like I, I can't go to the pub and just have one beer. I can't um, control myself when I go out for pizza. And a lot of them have been telling themselves this story for years and never had that thought challenge or never gone, oh, hang on, like, do I actually? Like, is that true or is that just a story I'm telling myself? Yeah. And there's that self-fulfilling prophecy as well. as like whether you think you can or you can't, right? Like, mm. if you tell yourself, I can't just have three beers, then you won't be able to. Like, if you start to challenge that and then put things in place, like, uh, like a what, like, okay, like, um, how many beers do you want to have? I want to, I want to try and have three. What will you do if you feel like having more? Or what can you? What boundaries can you? Oh, I'll drive, so I can't have more than three. Mm-hmm. So putting these things in place to again build up your confidence in in your in your ability to have self control, and that way in the future you'll be able to enjoy the social settings more as well. Yeah, and I think particularly with alcohol, I think alcohol is tricky because the more of it you drink the harder saying no becomes simply because like you've reduced your inhibitions, right? So yeah. in many ways, that's not entirely your fault. But I think that's also where some environmental design can be super useful. Like if you're going to a party, bring like a four or a six pack of something which isn't absurdly strong. And that way you've very much sort of captured off and you know, hey, this box with alcohol um, whereas I think if you're in an, somewhere like a pub where you can just sort of go back and continue to buy or you can have friends shout your drinks and that kind of thing, you're potentially, you have to understand how am I going to behave in this context and how do I give myself the best chance of success here? Yeah, I know for, for me, like uh, if I go to someone's house, I'll take alcohol-free beer, the like, one that I really, really enjoy because I know I can, it satisfies the purpose of taste and having beers with my mates. But I won't, like, if I drink the the real stuff, one, like, a lot of my mates, they live far away, so I have to drive, limits how many beers I can have, but also I'm going to feel like shit the next day. Yeah, look, I'm not going to judge on the alcohol-free beer front. <laughs> I think you've taken the only good thing about beer out of it, but that's a separate roundtable discussion. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, and... 
that's like I think the alcohol free options, all jokes aside, are also a good one to potentially avoid some of the the resistance we might feel socially to this. Particularly if you're someone if you're someone who's lived that sort of on-off lifestyle, your friends probably consider you someone who's like super healthy, very active, but who's also a bit of a quote unquote legend when you do drink. Or you're someone who drinks real, and like that's that becomes part of how people perceive you. Um, actually, I have a mate at uni who, when he goes out, he pays for soda water, like just soda water, and gets the like the person behind the bar to put a lime in it. Mm. So that way, when he's drinking and when he's like in that environment, people don't question, oh, like why is that guy not drinking? It's like the lowest possible social resistance option, because I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable having the whole yeah, I'm not drinking because X, Y, Z discussion in that yeah. kind of context. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. Like I know that we've kind of gone into this, this tangent of alcohol now, but it's another reason why people uh, tend to be resistant to change because it challenges their identity. Like you said, like the party guy, like I'm, I'm the fucking party guy. I'm, I'm the funny guy when I drink and like, I'm the, I'm the, or I'm the life of the party. Like that's, that's a, that's a, identity that you're trying to shift but also i forget what the what the term is i've mentioned it to you before i think it's called pluralistic ignorance but it's where like people like in, like you got six mates and all of you individually like oh i want to cut back on alcohol i want to cut back on alcohol but you go to the pub and you just keep like you keep drinking because no one's got the balls to say to the group oh guys i want to i want to cut back on alcohol <laughs> but everyone has that idea but you just don't verbalize it so you keep going with the behavior that you actually don't want to do anymore. Yeah, I, I think that's like a very, particularly as you leave your early 20s, I think that becomes more and more of a thing. Um, people sort of start diverging down different paths. And we probably don't give ourselves enough credit for the fact that we there's a reason we behave the way we behave. So it becomes really easy to get stuck down that sort of pluralistic ignorance realm of, hey, I turn up to the pub every Friday night. I have 10 to 15 drinks. Um, I do it with all my mates. We all enjoy it. And then you sort of, you look back on it and you reflect and you under, you start to realize you do that simply because you've learned that that is the thing you do and not because it's a thing which is actually bringing you joy. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned before, like everything we do, there's a reason behind it. Um, behavior serves a purpose. And I think it sometimes it's scary to tap into why you do what you do, but there is a reason, especially if that behavior persists, right? Sometimes it's, it's important to think like, okay, why, why do I do this? Why am I scared of this? And start to challenge that and become aware of it and then try and put some steps in place to take action. Um, but before we dive, I guess, too deep into the alcohol side of things, let's bring it back to the social meals. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a common... I, I, I want to say I want to say barrier, but a common hesitation that I see maybe from the female side of things is that if they are dieting and they are a smaller person to begin with, right, eating socially is a bit more challenging because it is like it's not it's it's not fair, right? Sometimes like like my let's my maintenance calories is between 27 to 2700 to, to 3000 for example right i'm not tracking but Rookie. that's roughly i know not not four and a half thousand like you mate but my wife 
she's a small person, right? Before the baby got into her belly. Um, she was like, she's at like 50 something kilos, right? So if if we're going out for a meal and we're having the same thing, it's a much bigger percentage of her day than it is of my day. So and even if you go out for a meal and you share it, it's a, it's also not an even 50-50 split. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a tricky one, right? Because this is a much bigger philosophical discussion I have. Um, but it's also quite an easy one for me to say, to have hot takes on, right? Because I'm a highly active male who eats a lot of calories. Um, I think in many ways that is not fair. But I also think if you're asking whether or not it's fair, we're probably not asking the right questions. Because in many ways, a lot of our body composition pursuits, a lot of our athletic pursuits are simply not fair. Mm. So I think instead, it's probably worth looking at how, to what degree is this juice worth the squeeze? So you may, again, like if you're someone who has pretty severe calorie limitations, you may be deciding, hey, the one kilo parmi at the Caxton Hotel I am probably never going to eat that socially. And that is okay because you have looked at the whole picture and gone, the thing that matters here is being around the people I love and me still being able to pursue my goal. Because I think most places have relatively reasonable lower calorie options, particularly if you're savvy with your requests and the alterations you make to meals. Um, which which could probably be a good thing for us to unpack, actually. But, like, often I talk to people about things like like removing your salad dressing, if they're using, like, a heavy, really oil-based one, um, trying to seek out lean protein serves instead of fattier ones, those kind of things. Do you have any recommendations for individuals who want to eat out socially but are particularly constrained calorie-wise or, like, are trying to manage the best of both worlds in that situation yeah like I, I think it's a good idea to get onto some tips as well that we can share field so they can enjoy the the meals in a more i guess physically health aligned way um sharing a meal is a is a really good one as well um so my wife and i sometimes like if we order a steak like it's there was a time where like we'd go to the pub and like a 300 gram steak we both don't need one so what we'd do is we'd we'd order a steak and we'd split the steak and then she would get salad, I'd just get an extra side of veggies and then we'd share the chips. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. Often I'll, to add a later that, if I know I've got a client who's going into a sharing type setup, like often with like a lot of Asian food, like you might be getting three or four plates and sharing them. I think that's also a really good opportunity to flex your sort of mindful, intuitive eating muscle and preload with some plants potentially or some plants and protein. So you also have a bit of a lower threshold to feeling full Mm. because I think the flip side is if you're someone who has been dieting and you are hungry and you get to share, you can eat a little bit quicker and be a little bit more aggressive because you have a bit of a sense of scarcity around the food. <laughs> yeah. And also that there comes in that, you know, sensory specific satiety that if you're sampling four different things, you're never quite getting satisfied because there's different textures, different flavors, different tastes. It kind of like 
it lowers that satiety level. So it's, mm. it's like the whole dessert stomach, right? That when dessert comes up, you can you've always got room for more. As mm. a similar thing. So I yeah. think if we look at this the shared situation, a strategy could be if there's four people, you get three plates. Mm. So it's a little bit less than one per person. Yeah. I think that's a good one. I, I hadn't thought about that. I um I think, and again, to put my sort of my boomer be disciplined, work harder hat on. I think we're really scared as a collective about being hungry. Yeah. Maybe because it's maybe because it's like an unfamiliar sensation or like we associate it as being bad. But I think hunger is only a negative perception should we have the emotional reaction to the sensation. And if you are going somewhere which has heaps of really cool, really delicious food, I don't think there's anything wrong with using a tiny bit of rigid restraint and going, I'm going to have a small, I'm going to have a taste of everything, but I'm not going into this meal expecting to feel full. Because if I'm chasing fullness in that context, you may very well find, like you've said, you've got a bunch of different sensory experiences. Um, you, you have almost open slather as well because you don't have a constrained portion size. You may find it's really hard to control both your appetite and even that compensatory, like hedonistic overeating experience might happen as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah, we've spoken a lot about purpose so far, but the <laughs> purpose of the chef, right, their purpose isn't always to make you feel full. Their purpose is to make you enjoy the meal so that you're a repeat customer. Yeah, and there's, uh, I'm not sure if I've spoken to you about this. I might have off air. The whole idea of obesity is being a consequence of capitalism. Right. In that if you're, oh, I want to say James Krieger said it. It's definitely been discussed on the Iron Culture podcast. So a bit of a plug for them. But Basically, if you live in a system where the role of the individual is to create, like, is to be engaged in production and create wealth, it makes sense for the foods we create to be as appetizing and as like not filling as possible. Mm. Being as because that's what drives that sort of overeating, um, but also mass consumption of the food and greater financial outcomes, mm. uh, which I think is. <laughs> I'm not married to it, but I think it's a really nice thought experiment in that context because you make food taste better by adding fat, by adding salt, by adding sugar and changing the texture. So if you are going to go into that situation, it makes sense to assume it is calorific. It makes sense to assume it's not going to fill me up. So knowing those constraints, ask yourself, how do I engage with this? in a way which fulfills my values and furthers my goals. Yeah. I think I think if people can take probably three things away from it, the, the, a common theme is in, in order to, to try and Im, improve your chance of enjoying these social meals, have awareness, all right, awareness of and like expectations of, of the meal, reflection, all right, and, and preparation. So... The preparation phase could be really, again, looking at menu, knowing where you're going, not in this obsessive way, but thinking about, okay, what what can I eat and in what amounts 
can I enjoy them in a way that is going to satisfy my physical health and my social health? Have a plan in mind for what you're going to do if you feel like having more or if someone tries to twist your arm, for example, and I just leave the key, keys here, uh, like, yeah, just get an Uber home and, like, pick it up tomorrow, like, pick it up tomorrow. Um, but that, I think, like, what you're saying, have that awareness of, like, I may not be as satisfied as, as if I make this meal at home. It is going to be higher calorie. Even if I get a steak and veggies, it's going to be more calories than if I get a steak and veggies at home. And it yeah, doesn't make definitely. it a bad, and it doesn't make it a bad thing. Yeah. And again, it's social meal, right? It's not meal social. Um, but I think that's also where I'll talk to people about like an ABC goal as being this like part of the solution there. So when you're preparing, go, okay, what does perfect look like? What does 80% look like? What does 60% look like? Because it also, I think humans do this weird thing where, you know, if you haven't started studying by six, you don't start at six or five, you start at seven. Yeah. Um, that's me disclosing the fact that I'm studying at the moment. But I think if we use that kind of example to the pub, I think often if people fail the top goal, unless they have a secondary goal to fall back on, they fall all the way through. Mm. So going, hey, like my, you might have a, you might be restricting quite hard. Your A goal might be going the whole lean protein plants option. Your B goal might be the inclusion of a couple of chips and a beer. And your C goal might take you to three beers for the sake of the example. But it also gives you permission to do the B or C goal if that's what your heart desires. Mm. Instead of going, oh, I had three chips. Now we're on. Um <laughs> And then you see you see the sun come up the next day. Like I yeah, think yeah. they're very different experiences. Yeah, yeah. And like uh, if we use the numbers example as well of like if someone's normal meal at home is five hundred calories and they have an a thousand calorie meal when they go out over the course of the week, it's only five hundred extra calories. It's negligible, even yeah. if you're in a deficit. Seriously, like it's yeah. I I think uh, expectations of what the meal has and the potential detriment it may have on, on your, um, on your goals is needs to be kind of like a bit of a, almost a bit of a, a reality check. Yeah. And it's funny, right? Because I think a lot of clients, when they hear like the reality check side of things, they, they expect some kind of punitive or negative reaction from you as the coach. But <laughs> it's funny, the more I do nutrition coaching, the more I find myself telling people I don't care and like I don't care in the most caring way possible. Um, Like if you were to go out and you would do the thousand calorie options instead of the 500, man, it's, it's not even, if you look across a month, you genuinely won't even notice that. Mm. Like it's, it is so far down the line of not mattering but I think if we let it start to develop maladaptive schemas and it becomes a part of that binge restrict cycle, it begins to matter very much. So it's a bit like you, I remember you sent me that meme about the world before and after Yeah, things happen. Like a lot of these things don't matter acutely because your body just gets on with the job. Yeah. And this is where that zoomed out perspective is, is so, so helpful. Like you, you can't, like one meal is a puzzle piece. 
uh, I use this analogy quite often. You can't tell anything by one puzzle piece. A blue puzzle piece could be a, uh, the sky, an ocean, my, my blue water bottle or a blue duck, right? You've got no idea. It's not until you see all the pieces together that you have an understanding of what the picture actually is. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your diet. You can't judge your diet based on one meal. If you had every single meal was an uh, social meal that was indulgent, different story. But, you know, a couple over the course of the week, right, not a big issue when you zoom out. And if we think about the, the numbers, again, you know, uh, if you eat four or five times per week, that's between 28 and 35 times, right? You have three social meals. That means that you've had 25 to 32 meals that you've prepared yourself, right? Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good, like, score if it's a test. Yeah, and I come back to the test analogy too, right? Because people... With diet, people are really bad at beating themselves up for the one small imperfection as opposed to largely doing well most of the time. Mm. Like, like I have genuinely had people rate their week poorly because they've had, like, a 90% week. And it's like, hey, man, like, I don't know about you, but I'm not smart enough that I'd find 90% to be a disappointing exam. Uh, it's... Things are going well when that's happened. And it's really important to go, hey, I am actually doing well here with this 90%, 95%. Yeah. But I'll, I would even then go to challenge that my, my exam example of I don't, I don't like to call those meals off track or they didn't hit the mark because there is a purpose for those. If we go right back to the start about social health, you need meals in your life that are going to, their purpose is social health. Every Friday, all right, I go down, there's a sports bar down the road, I go there and have a beer. Afterwards, I meet my wife at the pub and we have a steak and chips and veggies and I have another beer. I don't class that meal as off track because of the purpose behind it. It is to satisfy social and emotional health. The alcohol isn't to mask any negative. It's actually almost an, an enhancer because I like, I just love the taste of beer. It's a nice way to reflect on my own after having a, 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 a nice week. I, I don't like to call those meals off track just because they are, are a little bit more indulgent. Think about the purpose of your overarching diet and your, your overarching goals and values. And if those meals are in line with it, then I don't, I don't think it's off track. Yeah. And I, I, the thing I really like about that is how you've prompted the reflection or like the examination of your life and you've gone part of me being on track is this one of the big red flags i feel like i hear in consults is when people tell me they're ready to give 100 percent or be hardcore yeah it's like no i want to food is a vehicle to a better life i know like mac i was talking about how like food is this like life enriching thing we can engage in Let's construct a paradigm and a way of eating where you do have the social meals and failure to have them is non-adherence. Mm, yeah. You know, like, like that, yeah. Yeah, it's like this is a requirement. It's the same with the indulgence example, right? Like I have clients for whom they have a compulsory indulgence a certain amount of times a week simply because 
the absence of it is going to be more of a problem down the line. And the presence of it now can bring a lot of positive to your life. Yeah. I just finished up as the, the final week of a, a six-week program I'm doing at, um, at, at my gym. And week five was dedicated to daily indulgences. So I was like, you have to have an indulgence, like plan for an indulgence every day. Um, because that's, it's like, you know, we go back to what Monica said as well. Like it's, it's having these things is inevitable. So I think taking the time and if you're working, if you have a coach, work with your coach on ways to build your confidence to have these things and satisfy that physical and social health. If you're not working with a coach, then work with a coach. But if you want to do it on your own, then just sit down, do some reflection, right? And do some preparation of how you can find that sweet spot between satisfying your social health, your emotional health, and your physical health as well. Yeah, and the thing I really like about that is how you've spoken about the inevitability of it. I think it's one of the many flaws with like the paleo type, I live naturally vibe, I'm not going to say primal, but primal crowd Pirate. is... <laughs> Yeah, the pirate diet, get on it. Um, you lose a lot of weight when you have a peg leg. But I think it would be nice to pretend we live in a world without hyperpalatable food. But it's asking the wrong questions. Like we do, as individuals, we live in a relatively obesogenic environment and we have pretty minimal control over the world we live in but we have a lot more control over the places we put ourselves and how we respond to it to a degree. So understanding eating really tasty food, being exposed to alcohol, being exposed to food at the pub, being exposed to brunch is inevitable. And because that is the case, we need to ask how do we manage this in a way which is actually life enhancing and appropriate to our goals. Yeah. I I like that. It's It's about management. It's about, it's, it's not about removal. It's about like sometimes reductions of some things, right? Not, not restriction. Yeah. Awesome. And like, it's, yeah, I think that's the, uh, that's the vibe, right? Yeah. That's the, yeah. The Marvo. Any, any yeah. closing thoughts? Um, no, not really. I just think, I think in many ways, your last point about their inevitability is like where the money is like, you need social meals because you're a human and we're a social species. So because we know this is a thing which is life enriching and we need it, it's worth asking, how can I do it in an appropriate life enriching goal, like goal productive way? That's it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you, if you need support to help you do that, then that's what we can do with one-on-one coaching at FNC. It's our, our approach isn't just, like I said at the start, isn't just about physical progress. It's not just about tracking calories and macros. It's about how we can help you improve your nutrition to improve all areas of your life and live a value-aligned life. If you want to learn how to enjoy social meals, then we can work with you on that. And to tack onto that, I feel like one of the funny ironies of that is the better your life is, the better you exist sort of as a human, the better your results are actually going to be because simply because it takes time. Like if you can, you can be engaged in your pursuit for five years because you have a great paradigm you work in and you have a good life, you're going to get way better results than the person who's just busting their ass for eight weeks. 
um, and doesn't actually go anywhere because of it. Exactly right. So, yeah, we've got slots available for one-on-one coaching if you are interested. Um, so, yeah, click the links that are in the show notes or the if you're watching on YouTube in the uh, little comment section um, and you can sign up for one-on-one coaching. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Always see you a next, pleasure. See you next month. Okay.